All right, guys, well, welcome to our Easter series. Uh, this, is, uh, this marks Palm Sunday, so happy Palm Sunday to you. If you have your Bibles with that, turn to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to be in verse 1 through 17. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 17. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there are stacks of Bibles underneath the middle aisle, middle aisle of seats. You are welcome to grab one of those. Read along with us as we are going through the sermon today, but more importantly, keep that as a gift from us to you. Of course, the words will be on the screen, and we're going to read these out loud together. Sort of a a long passage, but we're going to um, progress through it pretty quickly. As we wrap wrap our minds and hearts around this Easter season. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. Let's read together. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we we pause to say thank you for this day, for the beautiful weather outside, for spring, for the changing of the seasons and what that does for really our souls. And so we take take a deep breath today as we gather as a church and just thank you. We thank you for your word. We pray that it would be nourishment to us today. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what Easter means. Uh, Begin that process today. Don't let Easter just happen on Easter, but God, may uh, life, may we we be infused with resurrection life even today as we peer into what was going on in the first century as Jesus entered Jerusalem. We thank you for your gospel. May we hear it clearly today, articulate it through even this passage of scripture, and I pray that it would be, um, that it would be fruitful in our lives to, to change us, to challenge us, and to make us like Jesus. And we pray this in his great name. And everyone said, amen and amen. 
The year is AD 33. It's spring in Jerusalem and the crowds of Jews from the known world have gathered for the Passover feast. Word is spread that Jesus, the prophet from Galilee, the one that had healed all kinds of people, the same Jesus that had raised Lazarus from the dead was nearby in Bethany, a village just a couple of miles east. The expectation was that he would come to Jerusalem. It was after raising Lazarus that many had gone to Bethany to see Jesus and this spectacle of Lazarus who had been risen from the dead. And after witnessing his miracle working power, many came to believe in Jesus. The Passover was always special, but the anticipation of Jesus coming to Jerusalem filled this particular crowd with both messianic fervor, but also for a special hatred of the Romans who ruled over them. Could this Jesus be the Messiah? Ideas of revolution spread through first century Palestine. Jesus with his teaching, his teaching authority and ability to capture the imagination of the masses, not least on account of his ability to heal and raise the dead, looked very much the part of this long-awaited Messiah. And so after observing the Sabbath at Bethany, Jesus arose on Sunday morning to enter the city of Jerusalem. It was March 29th, A.D. 33 the first day of the last week of his earthly life. This is a paraphrase from uh, a very good book, almost devotional-like, from um, scholar, uh, theologian, and uh, seminary professor, uh, Dr. Andreas Kostenberger, and Justin Taylor, who is one of the principal guys behind the Gospel Project. Their book is called The Final Days of Jesus. I would highly recommend it for you as you reflect on Easter and what it all means. Welcome to Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is it signifies the beginning of of Holy Week as the scriptures that we read kind of portray it. Uh, you know, it is the exuberance of Jesus, the the prophet coming in uh, into Jerusalem and the crowds lining the streets, almost like a parade in our day, um, praising him for who they thought he was. Really, as they waved uh, both their their clothes, they they took their clothes off, laid robes on the ground and they cut branches off, palm branches. I should have palm branches on each of your each of your palm leaves. Rather, I wouldn't want to put the branch on your chair there. But perhaps you have been in a more liturgical church and they've had they've given you a palm leaf as you came in or entered the service on Palm Sunday. What these represented was praise to the, the king that was coming to take the throne, but also to, to rule over them. And that's really what was happening. And as as these people would would uh, would honor Jesus, the coming king, as he came into Jerusalem, they would cite the words of of Psalm 118. We won't have time to do that, but you can look that up later. Palm Sunday um, begins our our Holy Week specifically because it gets us into this thinking of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Yeah, at Christmas time, we we worship the 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 second person of the Trinity who became a baby born in in humble circumstances and grew up to be uh, the man Jesus. And at Easter, we celebrate him, this Jesus dying on the cross. But in on Palm Sunday, Jesus is doing a particular thing. And uh, the, the point of my sermon today is the thing that he's doing is he's making himself known. He's making himself known in a threefold way. He's making himself known, firstly, as as the king. 
the true king. He's making himself known as a prophet, but not, not just one of the prophets like the Old Testament or even John the Baptist. He makes himself known as the true prophet. And he makes himself known as a priest, a true priest. And we see these in these scriptures here. At least I hope you will. Firstly, Jesus is the true king. So Jesus and his disciples are headed to Jerusalem and he's going to Jerusalem to die. And Jesus, this isn't a secret. He's told this to the disciples many times. And the gospel writers capture his words in several places where he says, I'm going to be uh, tried. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be tried. I'm, I'm going to be put to death on a cross. But I'm going to be I'm going to raise again on the third day. And in a sense, they didn't understand what he was talking about, even as they were coming into Jerusalem. In fact, just a couple chapters, uh, one chapter back in Matthew 20, 17 through 19, we read these words. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and on the way he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they'll condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. So he's told them that he's going to Jerusalem to die several times. I I think it's it's almost like us hearing something and just not wanting to believe it or not quite understanding it. They're going through the same kind of of, of ordeal here, even as they're walking with Jesus and living this out firsthand. And so the Passover is is in full swing. There's pilgrims from all over the known world, both Jews and, and Gentiles who had converted to Judaism that have gathered in Jerusalem. And Jesus and his disciples uh, are firstly at Bethany, um, observing the Sabbath, and then they wake up on Sunday morning, like today, and they proceed into Jerusalem. Verse 1 through 3 says these words. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey, a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. I can't help but read this passage and think how me and my friends would have, you know, sort of done what Jesus said. I mean, can you, can you imagine a bunch of army guys, perhaps, and you've been following Jesus around. And, you know, army guys are good at following. Most of them, the good ones are good at following. And so we don't know which disciples Jesus actually chose to go and, and um, find the, the donkey and un- untie the donkey and her colt. But I can just imagine them looking at us like, does he really want us to just go steal a donkey and take it? I mean, what's, can, can we do that? And of course, this is Jesus, the one that they've you know, known and hung around for a long time, the one that performed miracles. They said, well, if Jesus has told us to do it, why wouldn't we do it? So this conversation is probably going on in the background. Um, interestingly, Jesus, he is not telling them to go get a donkey because he's tired. Yeah, like, it's not like oh, I'm tired of walking these streets and I don't want to go to Jerusalem on my feet. Go get a donkey and bring the baby colt around with it. And then uh, I'll, I'll ride. and You guys walk behind me. That's that's not what's going on. That's not what's going on. Um, this really is the only time in the Bible that we see Jesus doing anything but walking. OK, try to find a, a scripture verse that says Jesus was was riding, you know, just hopping, hopping <laughs> into wherever he's going. That doesn't happen. He walked mostly everywhere. He went up until this point. And so Jesus is he's making a statement by by going to get this donkey and eventually getting on it and riding into Jerusalem. He was committing an intentional symbolic action by doing all the things that 
he is in the process of doing. In fact, everything that Jesus did, we could say he did for a reason. And so the, the statement that he's making here is, is I'm the king. I am the king. I'm, I'm not just the king. I'm the true king. He is articulating that without saying those words here in this passage. And the, the, the important thing for us to note is for those disciples, they, they were expecting a king. They wanted a king. But what he was saying by coming riding on a donkey was, I'm not I'm a king. I'm a true king, but I'm not the king that you are expecting because you want you want a king on a war horse coming to overthrow the Roman government. And I'm not coming like that. I'm coming in peace. In fact, I'm coming to die. I'm not coming to overthrow Caesar and his government. I'm coming that I might save people that I might die by saving them. I'm coming in peace. I'm coming to fulfill prophecy. He continues in verses four and five. This took place to fulfill what was going, what was spoken by the prophet, the prophet Zechariah, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now, in ancient days, this, this seems strange to us, but in ancient days, when a king traveled about, he either traveled on a horse, a war horse in particular, if he was going into a village or a city to overthrow it by war with his army in tow behind him. And if he came in peace, he would ride on a mule or a, a donkey. And, and so what Jesus is doing, he's doing the, the likes of kings in the in the ancient of days. If you'll recall when when David, King David, the, the, the great king of of Israel was was dying and he gave up his throne to his son Solomon. There's a little bit of conflict uh, you know, in the midst of that, he told Nathan, the prophet, go and Abiathar, his priest, he said, go um, put Solomon on my mule, have him ride into the city and coronate him there. OK. And so this was an ancient symbol of of coronating a king, of announcing that a king was coming. It's what Jesus is doing here. So Jesus comes not as a as a uh, invading king intending to take over Caesar and his government. He comes gentle and riding on a donkey. And so Jesus is king, but he's not the king that the, the, the disciples nor those people hanging around in Jerusalem expected. He continues, Matthew continues in verse five, verse six. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This this triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem is portrayed in all the Gospels. Um, Interestingly, uh, Luke in his gospel adds adds to this specific passage, verse six through ten. He asks these words in Luke 19, 38. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And John 12, 13 and John's gospel says Jesus was even the king of. Of Israel, They're recognizing Jesus' symbolic entry into Jerusalem as him announcing, I am indeed the king that you have been expecting. So what's happening here, especially in Matthew's gospel, he's, he's really he's working this up. This scene of uh, it's almost like us being lined in D.C., you know, it's cold. It's springtime here. But, you know, lined up in D.C. and it's a parade coming, you know, uh, Christmas time. Think about it. 
Christmas time, kids, adults, you got the, the bands, you got the, the drum, drum line, you got the dancers, um, you got some marching stuff, you got some floats coming by, Snoopy and Papa and, you know, all the other ones. And then here comes the grandmaster of the, of the parade, right, Santa Claus. And everybody's like, oh, it's Santa, it's Santa. This is what's happening. This is, this is what, it's, it's, it's an exuberant kind of um, shouting and yelling and, and praise is going on because they understand Jesus coming into Jerusalem. He's announcing himself. He's riding on a donkey. This is what we, we've been waiting on this for a long time. And everything that we've seen in Jesus is pointed up to this, this one moment. And so Matthew, he kind of personifies the, the crowd. He gives them a personality. And he says, um, he says these words. He says, uh, the, the whole city stirred up. And so the city is representative of, of Gentiles, those in the crowd that they weren't really religious, weren't Jews, had no idea what was going on. They were just onlookers, standing by and getting excited just for the just for the heck of it. All right. And there's like, I'm excited. But who is what's going on? Who is this? And then you had the crowds and the crowds were were Jewish pilgrims from all over the known world that had come to Jerusalem to, to, to worship at the Passover at the temple. But more importantly, they were anticipating Jesus, who they had heard about or had seen Galileans that had followed him all around. And here he is. And they're saying it's Jesus. It's the prophet from Nazareth. So that's that's really what's going on. People are shouting praises at Jesus and our worship team today. They, they said Hosanna means God, God saves. But really, Hosanna is is not only that. It's like, yes. God, come help us. Save us. It's, it's, it's hurrah. It's yay. It's, it's the loudest cheer that you can cheer. I know we don't do this in church, but take you all out to a basketball game or take you to Nats, Nats Stadium or to see the Redskins. It's that kind of cheer that's going on as they're cheering for Jesus as he's coming in. And then they say, son, Jesus is the son of David. And to say that Jesus is the son of David is to liken him to the lineage of of the great king, David. The, the scriptures say that they'll, David will always have someone on his throne, that in his lineage would come one who would be an eternal king. And they recognize by saying son, Jesus is the son of David, that he is this king. They recognize all of that. Jesus was a true king. And they're they're seeing this in their midst. He's the one we long for, they're saying, the one who will rightfully come and rule. Jesus was sent by God, a king who would rule in people's hearts. And interestingly, although I don't think this the the city and the crowd knew exactly what was going on, because Jesus, again, wasn't coming like they expected. The words that they were saying were absolutely appropriate for who he was and what he was coming to do. And I think it's very appropriate because it's much like us today. Oftentimes we have praise on our lips. We raise our hands shouting to this this God that we think we know, but he is oftentimes far from our hearts. And so these Jews really are expecting Jesus to come as a warring king to overthrow Caesar, to overthrow their government. And to take over rule, to restore ancient Israel. They wanted a William Wallace. Remember Braveheart? They wanted him to raise up an army and to come and dethrone all that was uh, the known government there. But Jesus comes entirely different than what they expected. 
He comes not warring. He comes in peace. He came to rescue people from their sins. And so even as in this scene, they raised their hands, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Three days later, starting on Wednesday of this Holy Week, especially on Thursday, they would raise their fists and they would shout, crucify him, crucify him. Now, this can seem far away from us. This idea of first century worship of, of a king and Jesus coming in and, and all of that. But I would tell you, um, it's not too far from us. As Americans, we're, we're modern. We reject the idea of king because that's really how our country started, by rejecting the, the idea of monarchy and the rule, that kind of rule over us. We say we don't want a king. We don't need a king over us. But I would tell you, um, what's happening here is an explanation of a people wanting a righteous government, of people wanting a righteous rule. And in our hearts, that's what all of us in this room, whether you admit it or not, we all want a righteous government. We want the government to do what it's supposed to do and do it rightly. And we want a righteous ruler to come along with that. Uh, there's a, a noted author, Richard Loveless, who wrote uh, a not too recent book that explains this point better than I could articulate it myself. He says this in a book entitled Renewal as a Way of Life. Listen to these words. One of the ruling passions of humanity is the search for a righteous government. The poor, the disadvantaged contend against the system with the conviction that another economic order will make the world livable. Every four years, the American people elect a new president with the hope that somehow this new leader will make things better. Economic downturns, crop failure, moral decline, and worsening international conditions are all blamed on presidents who, in most cases, have little control over events like these. In the hearts of the people is a groping, inarticulate conviction that if the right ruler comes along, the world will be healed of all its wounds. Uh, creation is headless and desperately searching for its head. Listen to that again. Creation is headless and desperately searching for its head. That's a telling uh, line there in a telling paragraph. Uh, what should we make of this? I think Richard Lovelace is not telling us to be apathetic toward politics and, and um, governments uh, in a sense. He's not saying even be apolitical. What he is saying is we should, uh, we should, uh, it should provoke discernment for us as Christians. Our faith has a massive impact on the way that we do politics. We should understand that every political system espouses uh, a certain ideology. Every political system, whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, an independent, green, I mean, Tea Party, apolitical. Every political system espouses this is what's wrong with the world and this is how we fix it. But I would tell you, if you're a Christian, your faith does that as well. Jesus, ha Jesus has an ideology. He has an ideology through his gospel. And the gospel says this is what's wrong with the world. And this this is how this is what's wrong with you, your sin. In fact, your sin is what's wrong with the world. And this is how we fix it. And so what do we do with that? I think we need to be discerning of who we give our allegiance to. I'm not trying to be political, so don't hear that in this. I'm getting to a point. Many of us get fired up when talking about political things. And I want to encourage you to think about 
your own longing for a righteous government. We all want the government to be right. In fact, I would tell you, and I say this lightly, we all want the president to be the, the bestest, the nicest, uh, the most moral. And that, that really isn't why we elected him. OK, and, and we put that on our precedence. And when they don't meet our expectation for righteous rule, we reject them. But we, it's in our hearts to want a righteous government and a righteous rule and our leader that comes along and fits that bill. And that really is uh, the gospel embedded in our culture. Because we all long for something better and only the gospel can give us that something better. Ultimately, what this all points back to is we want a righteous ruler and we're wired for a king. So just like those 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 ancient Israelites raising their hands and shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We are like those people today. And we don't we, we might not lift our hands up and say you're blessed, but we're shouting, give us the government that we need. And we need a ruler to lead it as well. And we want you to be right. Only the gospel can do that for us. We're wired for a king, and that king is Jesus. Any other king that we put on a throne of government is going to fail us. Jesus is the king. He's the true king, the son of David. And so on Palm Sunday, Jesus communicates that he is king. He's the true king. But he's not only a king, he's also a prophet. He's the true prophet. Uh, uh, Matthew continues in verse 10 and 11. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And so Jesus is a prophet. But again, he's not a prophet in the way they expected the, the Old Testament prophets to come. He's, he's a different kind of prophet. A prophet is, is one who represents God to the people. A prophet take, a prophet is ushered into the, the very presence of God. He sits in God's heavenly council and he sees and hears those things that God is doing amongst his people and, and on the earth. And he comes and conveys that to people. And so God, a, a prophet is, is given the grand responsibility of, of, of portraying God's words to us. Jesus comes as, as the one who is the word incarnate. Okay, and so he is the word. And so he's just not just a prophet. He's a unique prophet. He is the true prophet. He's a prophet like no other. Verse verse 12 continues. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Now, the, the temple is a sacred place. It was meant to be that. It was a center of life, of worship in all of Jerusalem. And, and so and Jesus walks into the temple and based upon what he sees, he begins overturning the tables of, of the money changers. And th- this scene isn't uncommon and it wasn't altogether wrong what was going on. Uh, basically, what was happening is you had you had people being taken advantage of. Okay, you had some disadvantaged people who were being taken advantage of. Primarily, you had pilgrims from around the known world that would travel long distances to get to Jerusalem to worship in the temple for for Passover. And you had one set of people who uh, there was a special temple money that you had to have to be able to, uh, to to do commerce in the temple, to buy the things that you needed to worship. Okay, And so he's saying the money changers 
as they were exchanging money, think of an, uh, a money currency exchange, they were, I mean, they were cheating a little bit, okay? The other thing that was happening is those pilgrims coming from, you know, from far away needed a sacrifice. They needed a, a, an animal to actually give to the priest to sacrifice. And he's saying uh, the, the, the especially crooked people were the ones that have, had doves and pigeons. Uh, this is an aside. If you, a pigeon, a dove, was the sacrifice that you brought if you were really, really poor. If you think of, of Joseph and Mary when they brought Jesus to the temple um, to offer him up. And they brought they brought a dove. Why did they bring that? Because they were poor. They, they were peasants. They had had no money. And so this really is is what's going on. And you've experienced this. This is price, price gouging at its best. Um, Rio, the new, 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 I'm thinking ahead. The new movie Rio is out. All right. So my family's probably going to go to the it's spring break for all the all the Fairfax County kids. We're going to start spring break by going to a movie probably here. I know, I know as soon as we get out of church today, Mike, when are we, we going to see Rio? When are we going to go see Rio? And uh, we're going to get to Rio because, it's, you know, it'll, hopefully it's going to be a good movie. They, they're going to ask for some popcorn. Uh, let's see. Zoe's going to want popcorn. Jonathan's going to want a slushy. David's going to want Mike and Ike's. All right. And so daddy's stingy, but, I, you know, I, I like, I, I'll get a little bit. Okay. And so... I'm going to like pay. I'm going to have to take out a second mortgage just to pay for those snacks in the, in the movie theater. Right. I mean, this is what's going on. And so it, it, it wasn't it, the exchange was OK. The things that were going on, the exchange of money, even the offering of the animals was OK. It was the price price gouging that Jesus had a problem with. And so he overturned all those cheating money changers. And he said, you've made my place. To, I mean, you've you've. You've basically, uh, you know, ruined that, that, the place that God has um, made to be a house of prayer. Um, the, what made this really worse was they were doing this in the court of Gentiles. The, the temple, the temple area was, was divided up into sections. You had a part for, for Jews. You had a part for Gentiles. There's an interest for women. Uh, and then, of course, you had the, the actual place where the priest operated with uh, all the articles for the, the altar and, and then the Holy of Holies. And so where all this Cricket activity was going on was in the court of Gentiles, where those who who need probably, you know, those who were farthest away from God in the in the in the Jewish sense were hanging out. And so they were being taken advantage of when in, in a place where they should have been able to draw near to God. And so Jesus comes in the temple as a prophet and he does what a prophet does. He he speaks God's word. And what he particularly speaks uh, is in verse 13. He speaks uh, from Isaiah 56, 7. Isaiah 56, 7 says these words. These I'll bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. So the issue here is Jesus that the temple was supposed to be a place of worship, not just for Jews, but for all people of all nations. And that this was getting bastardized as the, the money changers and the, the, those crooks selling pigeons uh, and doves were taking advantage of those who they you're in the movie theater. You, you know, you got to get a snack. All right. So I'm going to OK, I'll pay forty dollars to get a box of popcorn, some Mike and Ike's and a slushy. It's the same thing going on here. God's house was meant to be a place of worship for all people. And then he mentions Jeremiah 7:11. I'm going to back up two verses so you can get the gist of, of what's going on in this verse in Jeremiah. 
Will you still murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name and say, we're delivered only to uh, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. The, the issue here that Jesus is bringing up, OK, as, as a prophet, OK, he's speaking into the, the situation here. He's saying you're going to go. You're going to live ungodly lives out in the open. And then you're going to bring that mess into my temple. And, and you're going to take advantage of people who've come to worship me, thinking that all is OK. And he says that, that absolutely cannot be. And so if we liken this to how we live, you know, movie theater, the, the movie theater guy, I, I can't get off of it because I just hate how much I pay for movie theater uh, popcorn. The movie theater guy, oh, yeah, it's price gouging, but if I want popcorn and slushy and Mike and I, I gotta, I gotta pay, right? It's his theater. Jesus is saying, this is my temple and this is not gonna go. Absolutely not gonna go. There's great significance in Jesus coming to Jerusalem and immediately going to the temple in this fashion, as he did, as he's coming, uh, you know, in those days leading up to his death. First, Jesus came to the temple in fulfillment of Malachi uh, chapter three. I won't read that verse, but go back and read it in your in your Bibles. Jesus, uh, the Malachi is is foretelling of, of one who will come as a forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist. And then he says the Lord will certainly come into his temple. And so he's prophesying of this particular day. And he goes on to speak judgment that the Lord speaking judgment on the people as he comes to the temple. And of course, that speaks to Jesus not coming this time, but coming in, the, in his second coming in, in whenever, whenever it happens. So it's a word of judgment. He's bringing a word of judgment to these people in regards to what's going on in his temple. And secondly, I think most importantly, uh, Jesus being in the temple represented that the temple was no longer important because someone greater than the temple is actually here. Jesus had said that several times in the gospel. Okay, it had, been, it had been prophesied, said out of his mouth, you don't recognize his Pharisees. Someone greater than the temple is here right now. Don't worship the temple. Worship me. He's articulating that in due fashion right here. The neat thing that, uh, about Jesus is in this in this setting here, as he's interchanging with these crooked money changers and the the, the dinner robber people given given, uh, you know, charging high prices for the doves is he only kicks out those who are who need to be kicked out. The rest he shows mercy to. In fact, he he shows what true spirituality is by healing the blind and lame. We see that in verse in verse um, verse 14. Jesus is a king, he's a true king. Jesus is a prophet. He's a true prophet. And in these next verses, we see that Jesus is a priest. He's coming in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday as he's headed toward his death to show that he is the true priest. Verse 14 says this, and the blind, and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And the Jewish authorities of that day forbid handicapped people, people with disabilities from entering the temple. It, it, it was an Old Testament law that you couldn't enter the temple under those circumstances. Uh, but Jesus turns this on its head and he invites not only he is invite, he comforts, shows mercy to those who are blind and and lame. Jesus heals the broken. And those should be comforting words to us. It should be comforting because we're broken. Some of us are blind, seeing, but we're blind. Some of us are lame 
Not lame because we can't walk, but lame because we, we haven't found the steps to, to lead us to the one that we should truly worship. And so these are, this is a special thing that Jesus is doing. He's welcoming and he's healing blind and lame people. It's true priest, Jesus heals the broken. You know, many of us, uh, many of us in this room, but, but think about it, our world is broken. A lot of times we associate brokenness with just the pain of our life. Well, you know what brokenness really is? It's an inability to surrender, to surrender to, to the king. And that really is what Jesus is calling for. He's walking into the temple as king, as prophet, as priest, giving people, all kinds of people, an opportunity to surrender to him. But, but here in this particular passage, he's given the opportunity to, for us to bring him our brokenness and to bring him our pain. It might not be a physical pain in your body. It might be a mental pain. You just have anguish from all the things that you're going through. It may be just the hardness of the life that you live. And Jesus, in this instance, in this place of worship, is saying, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Just dump it, dump it on me. And of course, you, I, I'm not saying that any, he, any hurt, any informality that you have, Jesus is going to snap his fingers and, and heal you there. But the, the God that we have, he's a true priest. He brings comfort. He mediates between you and God. He's always interceding for you to, 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 to cause God's will to happen in your life as God would will it, not necessarily as you ask for it and pray it. The second thing that we see here uh, in, in regards to true spirituality is in verses 15 through 17. Matthew continues, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes? You have prepared praise. I can just see this, this setting. I think Jesus is actually smiling here. I do. Um, it seems serious, but I think it's kind of lighthearted. He's harsh to the uh, to the, the, the religious Jews, but he's, he's got all these kids around. And uh, scholars say this is not actually Sunday. This, these uh, verses 15 through 17 are actually the next day. So Jesus came to the temple, cast out the money changers. And then the next day he comes back and there's kids there. And these kids are doing what kids do. They're mimicking. Y'all ever had your kids, um, you know, mimicking what you do in the house? Sometimes you don't want them to mimic, right? All right. My neighbor, my neighbor, Chris, was outside two days ago and she was with her her young daughter, two year old daughter, Chloe, and her four year old daughter, Jack. And um, Chloe's going, mama, 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 mama. So this is what this is what's happening. It's, it's kind of like that. They're going, Hosanna, 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 in, in a higher pitched voice. OK. And what they're doing is whether they recognize it or not. I don't know if they know who Jesus is. They might have heard what the parents said, but they're mimicking. They're mimicking all the things that they saw the day before as all these crowds had gathered and seen the spectacle of Jesus coming into Jerusalem and then eventually going to the temple. They're mimicking it. And there's some religious people there and they're taking this in. Do you hear what they're saying? Are you going to let them just do that? And Jesus is saying, And he's got all these kids around him. He's probably laughing and and interacting with them. He's saying, haven't you heard? Haven't you heard what the psalmist said? That out of the mouths of babes, God has has ordained praise. And so he's doing a couple things here. First, he's using biblical authority to challenge these people who should have known the Bible. 
Psalm 8 is the song that he's using. And Psalm 8 is a royal psalm. It speaks of God himself. And Jesus is saying, hey, buddies, God is here. I'm it. These these young kids, they might be annoying to you. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. But they're they're giving me the praise that's due me. And thirdly, it says that all of us, this is special here. All of us that want to come to God, we got to come as a child. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? We got to come with that blind faith, doesn't know quite everything. Uh, what is, how's a child come? They come with nothing. In, in fact, if you don't give it to them, if I don't buy my kids popcorn, I'm back on that again. If I don't buy my kids popcorn, Mike and I can have slushy, we're going to be sitting in the movie just, in, you know, hopefully enjoying it. But it's going to be boring. All right. So they, they come with nothing. And so Jesus is saying, Come, don't come childish, come childlike, come like a child if you want to come to me. And he welcomes us to come to him like that. I'm going to conclude with this. Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to reveal who he was. Jesus was the true king. He came to rule perfectly as Lord, God, Savior and King. He's not like your tyrant boss. If you got a tyrant boss, maybe you got a manipulator boss. Uh, Maybe you had an abusive parent. Maybe you grew up or are dealing right now with someone that just throws their weight around you. Jesus doesn't come like that as king. He's always good. He executes his authority perfectly. He, uh, his will calls us to obedience. And I would tell you, his, his, his will is not always easy. It's not always easy. It's not always pain-free, but it is good for us. As a perfect king, He demands a certain kind of surrender. So have you surrendered to Jesus? Have you surrendered to Jesus? You might even be a Christian. Have you surrendered to Jesus? Jesus was a true prophet. His words are good and perfect and true. He comes representing God to us, bringing us God's word. John 1 says he is the word made flesh. Jesus was the true priest. He mediates between people and God. He ushers us into God's presence. We never have to question his motive. He cares for us. He's always caring for us. And I would tell you, this is the gospel. What I've presented here is a, is a tri-perspectival, this theological framework for how we should see Jesus. He's prophet. He's priest. He's king. Here he represents himself coming into Jerusalem as king. I am the king. I'm the true king that comes not to dethrone Caesar, but to be the king of your heart, as it was prophesied. And the, and the, the gospel shows us this. The, the gospel, in a, in a kingly kind of way, says it's the power of God for salvation for those who believe. The gospel is the power to change your very life. Jesus comes as a prophet. And as a prophet, he comes with the words. Jesus is the word. He, he brings a word that's, in, that's able to abide in you as you exist in Christ, your union with him. The gospel ushers us into the presence of God as our priest. Jesus comes bringing us into his presence and his gospel helps us to experience healing. We come to experience control versus chaos in our life. We have a sovereign God who carries out our salvation perfectly. You know, the the book of Hebrews is an epistle that mostly represents Jesus as priest, although I would tell you it conveys to us his deity as well. And in Hebrews, we, we learn that Jesus is a priest. 
He offers sacrifices and we're able he presents himself as a sacrifice. He is the priest that offers the sacrifice, but he also is the sacrifice. And Hebrews says that Jesus appeared once for all, that his death makes perfect atonement for our sin. He paid the infinite sin debt that you owe because of your sin. It's taken care of, completely wiped away as we put our faith in Jesus. And so think today about how much you try to put your sin away by other means than than giving it to Jesus, than coming to his gospel. And there's many ways that we do that. We try to people please. We try to perform. We try to ignore it. How do you deal with your sin? The scriptures tell us there's one way to deal with our sin, and that one way is Jesus. And so the the writer of Hebrews reminds us, after we have come to Jesus, our our sacrifice with our priest, that we can come confidently before the throne of grace and we receive mercy and we receive his help in our time of need. We can draw near to God and we can draw near to God because of the gospel. And so today as we enter Holy Week, the scriptures calls us to reflect on this Jesus who entered Jerusalem to reveal who he was, prophet, priest, and king. For as he goes through this week to his death, Jesus paves a way for us to fit in. You ever feel like you don't fit in? Jesus paves a way for you to fit in. He paves a way for you to be loved and to be accepted, to be empowered by his gospel. He gives you his name. He gives you his inheritance. And he offers us a chance to live in a new family. And all this is because of Jesus. That's what Jesus does on Palm Sunday as he enters Jerusalem to eventually go to the cross to die. This really is what Easter is about. Let's pray. Lord, in our hearts, we, we see these words and they seem so far away sometimes. They seem ancient. So I pray today, God, that for all of us here, hearing, recounting Jesus coming from Bethany into Jerusalem, streets lined with hundreds, perhaps thousands of people, taking off the robes, laying them on the ground, breaking off palm branches and laying those on the ground, a royal carpet laid on the ground for the the entrance of Jesus. God, that you would cause our hearts to come alive. God, that we would experience as those people experienced Jesus afresh, the one that we've waited for, the one that we've longed for, would you cause us, Lord, to yearn, to long for that thing that we really need? There's a lot of things that we think we need, but God, what we really, really need, what we truly need is Jesus. So God, this Easter season, awaken our hearts to Jesus. God, may we, may we wrestle through our sin that put him on the cross this week. Help us to be reflective in regards to that. God, I pray that we wouldn't wallow in that because we know that Jesus isn't dead. He he got up from the grave. That should encourage us. And then God just caused us to, to revel, to have joy in this Jesus, this King who's come to save us, this prophet who brings us God's word, who really is the word incarnate, and this priest who is ever interceding for us. 
Thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his great name.